Melissa Moore, Spirit Radio, so excited to have an incredible new guest on my show today, Todd Hall. He is the author of The Connected Life, and we're going to share about just the importance of building authentic community and just really being connected in a life that sometimes feels very isolating. So Todd, thank you so much for joining me. If you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and uh, sharing why you decided to write The Connected Life. Yes, definitely. Well, thanks, Melissa, so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here and have this conversation. So I am a uh, Psycho- clinical psychologist and a professor at uh, Rosemead School of Psychology, which is at Biola University in, in uh, the Los Angeles area. And so I teach uh, in the clinical psych program, the doctoral program, and I've been doing research on really relational approaches to spirituality for, for quite a while. I'm also, also a psychotherapist, been practicing for about 25 years. So, um, so the impetus for the book really goes back to my own personal story of disconnection, which I think kind of mirrors the larger sense of disconnection we're feeling in our society right now. And so my story in a nutshell is that my mom from as really as far back as I can remember, my mom struggled with pretty serious mental health issues. And my parents split up when I was pretty young, about nine years old. And so there's just a lot of dysfunction and insecurity, particularly in my relationship with my mom that led to just an overall sense of disconnection, you know, within myself with family, friends, And then fast forward to college as a Christian, wanting to grow in my faith, I hit this period of really feeling very distant from God and not really understanding why. And I had this experience, this kind of split that I think we often do experience between, you know, what I knew about God in my head and, and how I experienced God in my heart or my, you know, how close I felt to God because I felt very distant. And so I later realized that that pain and disconnection in my relationship with God was linked back to my early childhood experiences with, with my parents and and other, you know, important people in my life. So I think, you know, as I mentioned, I think my story, and I tell a little bit about it in the book, is really a reflection of our collective story of relational and spiritual disconnection that we're experiencing, particularly in this moment, which is interesting, because I started writing the book before the pandemic. uh, Because, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, Melissa, but loneliness and things like this were already on the rise but the pandemic has really kind of made that worse. Um, so I'm, I'm seeing this all over in my networks. I'm sure you are as well, Melissa, just you know, with students, clients, people I work with, uh, feeling socially and spiritually disconnected, lonely, you know, lots of mental health issues. And I think that affects our relationship with God as well. So, you know, so essentially my entire life has really been a journey from disconnection to learning how to connect deeply with God and others, and then helping others along that journey as a therapist. And so this book is really my attempt to share what I've learned in that journey and to help others cultivate a deep sense of connection with God and other people. That's so powerful. And I actually can relate a lot on, on just life stuff. I, my parents divorced when I was four and um, went through a lot of mental health stuff with my mom and just kind of that obviously changes you. You know, we're built for attachment and a secure attachment. And when we don't get that in childhood, it really does impact the rest of our lives. And if you look at the statistics, that's the case for a lot of people right now that they either grew up in, in you know, broken homes or dysfunctional homes. And a lot of us are hungry. We're starving for love. We're starving for connection. And our culture doesn't really promote that in a way that is healthy oftentimes. And I think we're kind of trending towards loneliness and isolation anyway, like you said. Um, and then, you know, obviously the pandemic has totally magnified that. So, you know, how have you seen loneliness really impact mental health? 
and, and how has the pandemic really affected that? Yeah, definitely. As you said, Melissa, loneliness has been on the rise for quite a while. I mean, for 40 years or so. And, and uh, so some of the stats show that it's doubled since the 1980s. Uh, so definitely before the pandemic, this was becoming an issue. And before the pandemic, the former U.S. Surgeon General, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, was really calling this out and labeled loneliness as, a, as an epidemic in the U.S. And he recently wrote a book on this called Together. So it was already getting attention before the pandemic. Um, there's also, we've seen a, just a fragmentation of the family with increased divorce rates, like we just talked about, you know, in the last 40, 50 years decrease in community connection. So a lot of that was documented by Robert Putnam in his landmark book, Bowling Alone. So he documents what he calls a decrease in, in um, social capital, which is basically connection <laughs> to other people, you know, and in community that that's really uh, decreased quite a bit, you know, in the last 40, 50 years. And then, and then we've seen definitely an increase in mental health issues, even before the pandemic as well. Anxiety and depression have increased, you know, depression's increased tenfold the last two generations, increase in suicide. Um, so those are very disturbing trends. And as you mentioned, Melissa, I think those have just been made worse uh, by the pandemic, just people feeling more, more isolated, disconnected from colleagues, from fellow church members, uh, definitely an increase in mental health issues, and particularly among young adults. So we're seeing, you know, the rate of mental health issues is increasing more, you know, in a more, more steeply um, for young adults compared to older adults. And, and as I mentioned, I think, you know, if we think about mental health and especially spiritual health as being ultimately about relationships with God and with other people, then this definitely affects our, our, our spirituality as well. Absolutely. And I, the thing that I'm noticing, especially within my generation as a millennial, and then those that are younger is we have a lot of friends on Facebook and, you know, whatever your, you know, social media <laughs> choice is. And there's so many people that they are known by a lot of people, but not really known by a lot of people. And I think right. that's the thing I found in my own life, even too, as a, I've been a Christian my whole life. And that's still something I'm just now figuring out how to build real authentic, like, you know, Bible modeled relationships. It's just new and it's unfortunate, but our culture doesn't really teach that. So um, I kind of want to talk about attachment bonds. You share about that a little bit in the book and what those are. Um, but if you wouldn't mind explaining that, um, what is a healthy attachment bond and how does building those uh, with obviously with God and with people, how does that lead to authentic transformation? Yeah. So I'll just back up a little bit there, Melissa, and talk about just what an attachment bond is, a relationship, and then kind of secure or healthy attachment. So an attachment bond or relationship is, it's it's an invisible bond with caregivers initially, who we depend on for safety, emotional security, and companionship. And so these bonds or attachment relationships are usually in place by 12 months of age. So they're just, you know, innately wired in us infants, seek out this connection, you know, for security and safety. And there's three kind of sets of attachment behavior that define an attachment relationship. So, and they're sort of two sides of the same coin. So the first is physical proximity and separation distress. So again, two sides of the same coin. So with infants, they, they want to be physically close to their attachment figure or caregivers, parents, and, you know, is the prototypical relationship in, you know, the early years. And that's normal, right? We see that all the time. And that gives them a sense of, you know, there's physical protection and safety, but also emotional security from that. And then the flip side of that is when there's distress or, or sorry, yeah, there's separation distress when there's separation. 
So when they're physically separated from parents, uh, they, they get distressed and that's normal. Uh, when there's a secure attachment, they're, they're usually able to calm down relatively quickly. And I'll come back to the security. So that's the first set. Then, then the second set of behaviors is a haven of safety and a secure base are the terms used in attachment theory. So haven of safety is basically comfort when a child is distressed. So, you know, when an infant or child becomes distressed, they go to their attachment figure for comfort, right? They don't go to any random adult, <laughs> right? And that's um, by design. And they're, they're, they've learned, hopefully, that they're going to get comfort. And so they go to that person and get the comfort. And, and over time, they internalize that. And that's what leads to healthy relationships, you know, down the road. And then the flip side is a secure base. When, they're, when they do experience comfort and, you know, emotional attunement, empathy, those kinds of things, they have what we call a secure base, which is basically the sense that my caregivers have my back and that frees me up to explore my environment. And as we become adults, you know, it's not just physically playing, you know, in our environments, exploring our internal world as well. And that's a huge part of psychotherapy, you know, is creating a safe environment and relationship so that clients can feel safe enough to, you know, sort of look at emotionally painful things, allow them to come up. So that's the second. And then the third is basically companionship. Psychologists call this intersubjectivity, which is a big word that just kind of means two minds interacting. But it basically it's a sense of companionship that comes from shared attention, intention, and emotional attunement. So, so that's essentially what an attachment bond is. And then, you know, as you kind of alluded to, there's there's a range of healthy or secure on one end to unhealthy or insecure on the other end. So when it's secure. There is this emotional attunement. Parents or caregivers read emotional signals of children, their, their children relatively accurately, and they respond. They're res emotionally responsive. They provide the comfort and those kinds of things. When it's not secure, they're either, you know, if they're unavailable emotionally or neglectful or highly anxious themselves, so they can't regulate their own emotions and pay attention to their child's needs or abusive, obviously, then an insecure attachment develops. And there's two major types of insecure attachment. And those are, these are really broad categories, but you know, on the one side, uh, it would be sort of anxious type of attachment where they're hyperactivating their attachment system. And then the other side would be what we call a dismissing attachment where they're just kind of shutting down, becoming emotionally disengaged. And I think the important thing to note about that, Melissa, is that these are natural ways of coping with the relationship, trying to maintain some sense of connection with the parents um, <clears throat> by, you know, sort of accommodating them. And then they, they get internalized. So these experiences get internalized in kind of a gut level form of memory, and then they form expectations. So then, you know, if you've experienced a lot of, you know, if your parent was highly anxious all the time, inconsistently available, then at a gut level, that's what you expect with other authority figures, including God, and it operates outside of conscious awareness. So, so that's kind of yeah, a little bit about secure and insecure. And I think secure attachment really is necessary for authentic transformation because essentially we grow and change um, as we're able to process emotional pain and we need secure you know, experiences with other people where they're attuned emotionally and responsive uh, to have these new experiences of love essentially that we then internalize and that and that's you know with other people as well as with god directly 
Absolutely. And I'm sure that you see this also in therapy as well, that, you know, when people come into therapy, oftentimes it is because of those insecure attachments with parent figures. And I know for me, again, experiencing some of that as a kid, um, being able to see God as my parental figure, um, that has been so healing for me in knowing that like, I can go to him with anything and he will always be there. He's reliable. He is secure. Um, he maintains, he keeps his promises, you know? And I, I think for so many of us, um, because it is the vast majority of people in our culture today have had unhealthy relationships with, with one or both parents, we so much more need to build secure relationship with God. Um, because that is like, I know for me on a personal level, I've shared some of my story on my show before, but it is in creating that relationship with God and finding, um, my security in him that I'm then able to be, you know, feel safe in going into other relationships and seeking, um, a healthy level of security from those around me. So, you know, with that, how, how do we build that secure attachment with God? How do we build that with others? So a lot of it is developing self-awareness and, you know, so first of all, it's just recognizing this split. I mentioned that sometimes, even though we know in our head that God is loving and cares about us and those kinds of things, oftentimes we don't feel it. And sometimes the first response to that is to beat ourselves up or, you know, think, feel like there's something wrong with us. So I think the first step is just trying to create space. And oftentimes we need help from others. You know, sometimes that's therapy. Sometimes it's just a good friend or mentoring to create space for those feelings, because if we try to push them away. That doesn't work. <laughs> they, they're still there. We have to create space for them and process them. And then that allows us to then go to God with a different stance and be more open, you know, to, and even just to go to God, right? I mean, like you were saying, if you, if you expect God to not be there, then oftentimes we don't, we don't engage with God. We stop reading the Bible. We stop maybe going to church or, you know, those kinds of, you know, spiritual disciplines. So it's creating that space. Sometimes that requires help and just having, you know, finding people where you can have these new experiences. So I think that's a big part of it too, is just paying attention to what kind of experiences am I having in my different relationships? And it doesn't mean you necessarily cut people off, but you need people in your life who are safe, who you can share with on a deeper level you know, to have these new experiences with, so again, mentoring, close friends, sometimes it's a small group, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so with people as well as engaging directly with God. Absolutely. And I appreciate that you kind of share about that, that, you know, sometimes, you know, I think there's a thing with, you know, boundaries can be important. That's like a hot word right now, um, yeah. is learning how to create, um, healthy relationships with boundaries. And oftentimes when we don't have healthy relationships, then it can further reinforce these insecure attachments and, uh, maybe our own feelings of unworthiness or, or whatever it is that's keeping us from building those kinds of relationships. So I appreciate that you mentioned that. I think that's something that we do need to take into account that sometimes we are the issue. Sometimes we are not the issue and it's, right. it's okay for us to, to build relationships, um, and set those healthy boundaries so that we can experience true and authentic mm -hmm. connection. Um, we need to be doing that. It's so, so vital for our survival, um, really in, in, you know, completely yeah. honestly, um, because so many people are feeling so disconnected. Obviously the rates, as you've mentioned, suicide has gone up tremendously, especially in young people in the last couple of years, um, because of this feeling of isolation, lack of attachment, right. um, with caregivers as well as with peers, we need, mm -hmm. we need connection with God and people. 
Um, so I just appreciate, again, you coming from a, a research kind of focus as well, um, not just looking at what the, what the Bible says, but also what research says about connection. So I appreciate that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we close our time? Well, just, just to add to what I was just saying, you know, in terms of how do we grow, I think part of it is a big part of it is just recognizing our own ways of protecting ourselves, right? So we, everyone develops ways of protecting themselves from emotional pain and that serves a purpose early on, you know, that it, it protects us, but there's always a cost. And the cost is it, it, it cuts us off from ourself in some ways and it it's, helps to replicate these negative patterns, you know, like you were saying, sometimes, you know, we're, I mean, we're always part of it. Other people are part of it. So, so a big part of growth is just recognizing our own role in creating negative relational patterns and then trying to step out of that with the people we're in relationship with. And then back to boundaries, like you said, sometimes you might recognize, okay, this person is not capable at this point of shifting to a more healthy way of relating. So I mean, may need to pull back. Or, but sometimes when we reach out in a new way, recognizing our own patterns, that can help change the relationship and people are capable. <laughs> I find that oftentimes, you know, sometimes we sort of write people off too soon because it's a way of protecting ourselves. So I think that's, that's an important, you know, as well as just forgiving other people, still having boundaries, but forgiving and, and sort of trying to be open to that. So, yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Absolutely. And I think taking time to allow ourselves to um, process, like what you've said, like going to therapy and, you know, taking time to address maybe some of that childhood wounding or um, the things that you've gone through in young adulthood. I think being able to take time with a trained professional to do that work allows you to be healthy, to have healthy relationships. Um, And obviously what you've said as well, the importance of kind of taking our walls down. I think so many of us kind of come into all of our relationships with walls up. And if everyone in the group has the walls up, there's really no true cut, you know, true connection, maybe your friends, but there's no depth, no um, authenticity. Um, and that's really what it's required to, to create these secure attachments with, with new friends, with spouses mm-hmm. as well. So I just appreciate you taking time just to chat on this. Um, I know it's a huge need in our society right now, but, um, obviously your book is available now. Um, where can we purchase it and how can we follow you going forward? Yeah, definitely. So the website is, uh, connectedlifebook.com, uh, where you can see more about, about the book and yeah, you can purchase it on Amazon or the IVP website. Well, thank you so much again for your time chatting with us. Um, I know this is going to be a huge, huge blessing to our listeners. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for doing this work. And uh, obviously, as a therapist, making sure that there are so many more healthy people uh, entering out into the world to create these kinds of healthy, authentic relationships. So thank you for all you do. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you so much for having me on, Melissa. I appreciate it.